0: and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time.
1: Let's go to the Lord in prayer, uh, once again. Father God, we give you thanks, uh, for Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of uh, his perfect life, um, that we have a perfect high priest, a priest who um, who can sympathize um, with our plight, God? Not um, uh, someone who is is different enough, different from us to the extent that he could never understand what it was like to to be human and to go through the difficulties and the struggles of a human life, um, God. But instead, a a high priest who has who has um, experienced everything that we have experienced and suffered in the ways that we have suffered and even greater, God. Uh, and because of that, because he was obedient even to death, God, um, he has he has um, shown himself worthy of being our high priest who can uh, intercede for us um, at your right hand, God, who can step into um, the space in between us and be a mediator uh, between us, uh, God, and your holiness. Um, we praise you for that. We praise you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for um, his coming. God, we thank you that um, we can join together under the banner of Jesus Christ uh, and know that um, God we are united in something that is is uh, someone who is far greater um, and far stronger and far more holy um, than we could ever hope or dream to be father we we ask um, in this time um, of of quarantine and 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 staying at home, God. that we would remember that high priestly um, role of Jesus Christ, that we would recognize that he is even now interceding for us, God, that he is, uh, that he is watchful over us um that he cares about our daily struggles that he cares about our uh, loss of of jobs and loss of income that he cares about our anxieties and our fears that he cares about uh, the difficulties of of us trying to figure out what what the new um normal in this time is and the difficulties of, of family and and marriage and children and life and all of these things put together um he is, he is a savior and a high priest who sympathizes in all these things, Father. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Um, God, we thank you for your word. Uh, and as we come to your word, we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to this text, that we would see not only Jesus Christ more clearly, but that we would understand um, the ways that this passage connects to our own lives, and that through that, we would draw close uh, to you. Uh, Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. If you've got your Bible and you're not already there, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. And we are going to be um, looking uh, again at at the story um, that is called The Temptation of Jesus, uh, the, st- the passage that Alice just read for us. Um, now, if you remember, so for the last um uh, about seven weeks or so um, during the course of Lent, um, we have been um, looking into the life of Abraham and looking at the way the gospel is is foreshadowed in the life of Abraham. But before we started that series, um, we were we had been studying in the book of Luke, and so from about Thanksgiving to the beginning of Lent, we had been um, studying the life of of Jesus and and the story of the coming of Jesus at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Um, then we finished up with, with the story of Jesus' baptism and and the section that, that tells us about his genealogy um, there in Luke chapter 3. And so now uh, we are stepping back into that Luke study um, this evening and um, looking um, at this story where Jesus uh, goes into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil. And so again, um, that passage that we just read from Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that Jesus is our perfect high priest, and that uh, the the specific words are, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, all right? Now, that's super important for for at least two reasons um, for our context tonight. Number one, it tells us that Jesus' temptation was similar to ours, that is, he underwent temptation of the same kind that we do. And we learn valuable lessons as we come to this story about the way Satan not only tempted Jesus, but the way he tempts us as well. But the second thing we also notice is that Jesus was tempted to an extent, to a degree, far greater than what we have ever had to endure. And so he has remained faithful even when we have not remained faithful. And so we'll come to that, especially as we close tonight on this message. But right now, I want to start with just a couple of introductory kind of comments about um, this passage from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So again, it begins in verse 1 saying that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. All right, so I want to do some introductory kind of comments and talk about temptation and maybe the idea of the timing of temptation, something that we can draw from this passage for our own spiritual lives that we see going on here. The first thing is this, when you are setting out, that is a time when you're setting out on a new um endeavor or 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 a new focus in your life that is often a time that satan will try to attack and satan will try to tempt okay we see that in this passage jesus is beginning his earthly ministry up until this point jesus has been uh, for lack of a better word, a private citizen, right? Um, Nobody really knew who he was except those who were closest to him. Nobody understood um, his his uh, role as a Messiah or his divinity or any of those things except for the people who were closest to him. But now we are coming to the point in Jesus' life and ministry where he is going to step forward, and he is going to step into his um, full-time public um, kind of ministry, all right? And so... We notice that when Jesus does that, Satan attacks in a special way. Satan attacks in a particular way. I think this is always the case um, with the way our lives work, all right? Anytime um, we as followers of Jesus um, make new commitments to the Lord and we step into a new time of, of um, commitment or, or growth or devotion or a new enterprise um, or a ministry or anything like that, The devil is going to come after us, okay? And so you could think about anything. If you were, if you were somebody who was, who had been lax on your church attendance or lax on your Bible reading or, or lax on self-control in, in any number of issues, right? And you decide, one day, I'm going to make a commitment to uh, to follow the Lord in these things. I'm going to start living the way I'm called to be led. So let's just take the example of Bible reading, right? Um, and, and probably, I'll bet, every single one of us has experienced something like this. So you decide, man, I'm going to start getting up in the morning and reading my Bible, okay? I'm going to make a commitment to that. This is going to be a part of my daily practice to go to the Lord in prayer and in his word. And I'm going to start that tomorrow morning. And then what happens that night? something crazy, right? There's a tornado warning and, and your family's all awake and your your kids are scared and, and your wife's hiding in the bathtub, right? Um, uh, you didn't get good sleep for some reason. There was a dog barking all night, right? There'll be all these little things that interfere with you so that the next morning you say, well, you know what? Maybe this wasn't the best day to start. Maybe I'll start again later, and then you've missed the opportunity, right? Stumbling blocks and snares come out of the woodwork when we're starting out on a new endeavor, okay? And, and that makes sense, right? Why would the devil allow you a lifetime of faithfulness and blessing when he can derail you at the outset, okay? And so what I would say is this, anytime you embark on a new thing, be ready for pushback from the devil, Okay, be ready for pushback and recognize it when it happens. All right. Two, another thing that I want you to notice is this: the devil often attacks us, not only at the beginning of things, but God often attacks us when uh, the devil attacks us when we are worn down. All right. Jesus has been in the desert, uh, in the wilderness, for forty days, um, suffering from hunger and exposure. Right. That puts him in a uniquely vulnerable position. To be tempted. The same is true of us, right? When we are tired or stressed out or sad, brokenhearted, when we're hangry or slangry, you know what hangry and slangry are, right? When you're hungry, angry, or you're sleepy, angry, right? I get both of those, okay? When I'm hungry or when I'm sleepy, um, man, it's easy for me to get on edge. It's easy for me to yell at my kids. It's easy for me to be short with people, Okay? Um, prolonged times of stress, prolonged times of illness, um, being a caregiver to somebody over a long period of time, I and mean, there's any number of things that can wear us down. And and when these things happen, okay, they're not excuses for our sin, right? They're not excuses for our wrong behavior, but they are times where we should recognize and say, this is a warning. This is an opportunity for me to be on guard. I'm worn down and this is the kind of time that the devil likes to strike. So not only do in, in those times do we, um, are are we, do we need to be more on guard? But in all honesty, they are oftentimes things that reveal our true weaknesses, right? Everybody can be kind to the barista. Uh, when it's a sunny day and you got nowhere to go and nothing to do, but wait until the day when you're running late and you're on edge and you're uncaffeinated and we'll see what people are really like. We see what Jesus is really like in this passage as well. A third thing I want you to notice as we, as we enter into this, Jesus uses scripture Right, The word of God as his weapon to answer Satan in all of his temptations. Just like we read in Psalms 119 earlier, this is why it's so important to store up the word of God in your heart that I might not sin against you, right? That's what Psalm 119 tells us, right? If you have that word stored up, that the idea that you have memorized it, or at least that you can quickly reference it somehow, because you've, you you know where the word is at in terms of the whole scriptures, that is so valuable in times of temptation, right? Because as the devil accuses and the devil lies and the devil tries to lead astray, you can go to God's word and say, no, I know what the word says. I know how I'm supposed to live. I know what God wants of me because his word is, is, stored up in your heart. It is so important to know God's word that way. Not only because Jesus did it, because he sets the example because it's beneficial, but also notice who else uses the scriptures here. Satan uses the scriptures to tempt too. And the only way he's able to do that is he only picks out certain passages. He only tells you one side of the story. He doesn't give you a full picture of the whole counsel of God. And so if you do not know the word very well, then the devil can come and tempt you even with the word of God and that he can whisper these things to you and that you'll say, man, that's what God's word says. I think I can lean into this. But in fact, you're actually following Satan because you don't have uh, an understanding of the full counsel of God's word, right? The devil's good at that. He's good at twisting um. God's own words. He's he's good at using God's own word against us, and so it's all the more important that we know his word for that reason. It, we see that in this passage, right? The devil is is tempting. He's twisting God's words, and he tempts Jesus in in three ways in particular, right? We see kind of three specific times uh, of tempting and testing in this. Now, when you look at the way different Commentators and different people have come to this passage. People see the specific temptation that Jesus undergoes in different lights. Right? You can kind of talk about it from from different angles. Um, but I think one important thing to understand the temptations is is. To look at the way Jesus responds to those temptations, because the words that he says, the answer that he gives to Satan, is going to give us a clue, I think, as to how to best um, zoom in on what the devil is actually trying to tempt Jesus with and tempt us with. Okay, and so what I'm going to do um, today is is we're going to look at the three temptations in terms of of this. Um, we're going to talk about priorities. We're going to talk about the means, and we're going to talk about the ends, okay? And they all kind of run together a little bit, so there's some overlap in ideas and stuff like that, but I think these get at the core of what the devil is trying to tempt Jesus to. Okay, so the first one, this idea of priorities. Look at verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The first temptation is to the priorities of our lives. Specifically, think of physical drives, physical desires, things like that. Jesus is starving, right? Food is necessary for us, right? And so the devil basically just says, hey, you're starving. You need food. Make some food for yourself use your power to create food out of these stones so jesus uh, in 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 this moment jesus is starving right he needs these things but the key is this jesus starving his starvation um his fasting is for a purpose right um he didn't just he wasn't just not having food, right? It wasn't just that there was no food around. Jesus was intentionally fasting during this time. And it was because it was a special time of communion with God. His starvation was for a purpose in this case, right? And so then he answers Satan and says, man shall not live by bread alone. He doesn't say man doesn't need bread. He doesn't say man doesn't need food. That's not what he says, right? He 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 says man does not live by bread alone. That is, there are other things that man needs. And in fact, in this case, more important things that man needs. And so we get a little better picture of that whole idea in Matthew's account of this story. Because in Matthew's account, he not only says, man shall not live by bread alone, but then he continues, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right. This appeal, this 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 temptation is to our perception that certain aspects of our lives are non-negotiable bare minimums, that they should take precedent over other things. Right. And so we begin by saying, well, I have to I have to survive. Right. I must eat to survive. It always seems to start with this idea of survival, that somehow God would not possibly let us not survive. But then pretty soon that moves past the necessaries. Those necessaries keep growing, or maybe is a better way to saying it. Well, I must eat. Well, I must make a living. Well, I must have a certain level of comfort. Well, I must fulfill my sexual desires. All of these things are normal, right? They're necessary parts of life. And if we think about those things and think that they are musts, right, if they are necessary, if those are things of first priority in our lives, then then we begin to tell ourselves that we are justified to do whatever is necessary to fulfill those desires. But there's at least one problem with that. All of our goods, all of the good things, the blessings in our lives must be properly ordered or they become bads, they become evils. Food, money, sex, comfort aren't inherently bad things, right? In fact, they're all gifts of God. But we have to put everything in our lives in its proper place, in its proper hierarchy. And when we don't put our blessings in the right places, then very quickly things get goofy. And so when Jesus is tempted with his survival as a first priority, satisfying his basic physical needs as a first priority, he says, nope, that is not my first priority. My first priority is hearing God. My first priority, my necessity is to be connected to God and his word. All right? During this COVID-19 crisis that we're in the middle of, we have heard all kinds of stuff about essential, right? We've, we've, we've asked what services, what, what businesses, what consumer items are essential? Is, is a grocery store essential? Is a church essential? Is a golf course or a liquor store or an abortion clinic? Are these things essential to us? I pray that that one of the things that comes out of this this whole time that we are living through is that it makes us reassess what is actually of first importance in our lives. Because here's the deal, and we'll, we'll move on with this. Our lives must be properly ordered, and we must understand what is truly necessary and essential about them. Okay, and so so the devil continues. Jesus, Jesus does not fall for that temptation. Right. And so um, the devil continues in in verse five. And I think this is what you could say a, a, a temptation of means. Okay, verse five. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So we could, we could go a lot of different ways with that one too, right? We could talk about for one, the fact that the devil's overplaying his hand a little bit, right? Um, the devil certainly has a certain amount of influence and control in this world, but he does not have the kind of control that he seems to, to be implying. Um again, a deception on his part, but, but, but I want you to look at, at something a little bit different, right? I think the temptation that is going on in this passage is, is what you could say it's the temptation of the shortcut. It is the temptation that asks the question, do the means matter if we get to the desired ends that, that we wanted anyway? Okay, so think about it. Um, do you realize that the devil is actually promising Jesus what Jesus actually came to do and is already promised? All right. We actually mentioned this last week in our resurrection service um, for for um, Sunday night. Um, it's that central passage in the scriptures in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians tells us this, God, talking about Jesus, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the devil says, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world, but Jesus has already promised those, right? So how is this a temptation? Well, I think the answer is actually, and we see it in that Philippians passage also in this section that precedes it. Because we have to ask the question, why will Jesus, why will every knee bow? Why will every tongue confess? Why has God exalted Jesus? And we find the answer in verses 8 and 9 of Philippians 2. It is because Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, right? Therefore, when when you know the, the old Bible saying, right, whenever there's a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Jesus' exaltation is contingent, contingent upon his obedience, okay? He didn't just uh, get this exaltation because he was the son of God. He didn't just get it because he was destined to it. He didn't just get it because he was promised it, although all of those things would be true right? But it came to him through his obedience. God told him to do things in a specific way, servanthood, humility, sacrifice, death, and so Jesus did them, and he did them in that way. And that's why Jesus' response makes all the more sense to this temptation. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Okay, Jesus is basically saying this. My job is to worship and honor God. My job is to live in obedience to what God has called me to do, and the results and the reward and the ends that we are working for um, i 'll leave those things up to him you know it 's interesting, and we again see this in our own lives. I think Satan often tempts us with a good and righteous goal and then Suggest that we get there by unrighteous means. But the deal is, is that in the Christian life, the ends never justify the means. Maybe that's not the best way of saying it. But we could ask any number of, of uh, people from Scripture, right? We could ask Abraham as he tried to get a son by Hagar whether the ends justified the means. Or ask Saul as he sought revelation from the witch at Endor. I know what you're thinking. You're like, that's from Star Wars. Indoor's not even a real thing. No, it's in there. I promise. Go to the Old Testament. Um, Uzziah took it upon himself to burn incense for the Lord and was struck down with leprosy because of it. Okay, All through the Bible, we see stories of people who have a good end in sight, a good goal, something that is right um, that they want, and yet they go about getting it by unrighteous means. The ends don't justify the means. The means should be just in themselves. And when then we leave the results, we leave the ends in God's hands. And so maybe the, the, the way to summarize that is to say that the results are not your responsibility, only faithfulness. Faithfulness is your measure of success, not a specific outcome achieved. I'll be honest man that's a that's a that's a idea that I need to hold on to right that all pastors need to hold on to because it is difficult to to not um try to to get to a certain location get to a certain place get to a certain level of ministry um and to, to almost sometimes say well we're just going to get there by hook or by crook we're going to get it do it however we can get there faithfulness is your measure of success not a specific outcome but the devil is, is not content to just tempt us through through our priorities and our means. He tempts us through the the ends to which we um, are, are progressing to. And so in verse 9, it says, Satan took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, if our, if our first temptation is priorities and the second one is means, I think the last is, is maybe to say, uh, a question about ends, um, or outcomes or, or what we are promised. Um, and again, they all kind of overlap. So some of the, we could have talked about some of that in, in, in the last temptation too. Um, But notice what's going on here. The devil insinuates um, that God would never allow anything bad to happen to Jesus, right? Certainly, God would not allow evil to befall him or his life to be taken, right? He will send his angels to protect you, right? God would never allow Jesus to suffer. God would never allow Jesus to die. And so therefore, if he jumped off the pinnacle of the temple, God must rescue him, right? God is bound to rescue him in some way. The irony of that passage rings true to us if we know the other side of the gospel. Because since Jesus specifically came to die, it it actually echoes what the mockers were saying when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Like in Matthew 27, when, when, when the the crowds are yelling, if he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he chooses him, right? They're saying the same kind of things. If God's really for this guy, then certainly he will rescue him. Certainly he will get him down from this cross. If there's anything that we should be reminded of during this time of of pandemic, it is that while it, it is that while God makes many promises to us in the scriptures, the circumstances of this earthly life, and specifically how you will end this earthly life, is not one of them. We believe in a God of grace and a God of mercy. We believe in a God of provision and protection and, and Satan is appealing to all those realities, right? Like that's, that's the, that's kind of language that he's appealing to. Those very truths of scripture. Right? And we know that some ends are promised, right? There are certain things in the, in the scriptures that are promised. Ultimate ends, salvation ends, heavenly ends are promised to us. But not earthly ends. The reality is, is none of us are getting out of this thing alive. And, and some of us, We'll live lives that seem as if nothing difficult has ever gone wrong. Um, we we've just live charm lives, it seems like. Others will have pain and heartache of a disproportionate measure. Some of us will die asleep in our beds, fat and happy and full of years. And some of us will die in ways that are much more tragic. You are not promised any of those things. So do not presume on the blessings of God. Or as Jesus says it, do not put God to the test. But instead, in humility, surrender your life, surrender your expectations of this life to Jesus Verse 13 says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is certainly not the last time that we see Satan and the work of the devil in the gospel of Luke. We will see him throughout as Jesus shows that he has power over the demonic forces. You know, it's it's as as we close, it's it's sort of interesting um, because a number of us at College Street have, over the last few weeks and months, been reading C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, and we also had a, a youth class that was that was reading it together in a book club too that we've been doing over Zoom, um, and it's sort of convenient, right, that we have been reading it and that we would re-enter the study of the Gospel of Luke at the temptation scene after spending two months or more reading about this deceptive subtlety of Satan's schemes. It makes us realize, as we read that book and as we read this passage, it makes us realize that throughout our daily lives, but especially at key moments in our lives, we come to a crossroads, a testing much like Abraham did when he was called on to sacrifice Isaac that we read about last week. We come to a point where we have to make a decision and that decision is often going to direct the moral trajectory of our lives. And so in, in his book, Mere Christianity, which we were not reading, but, but C.S. Lewis says this. He says, the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you have never dreamed of. And an apparent, apparent trivial indulgence in lust or in anger today may be the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. We recognize the daily crossroads that we come to as we are presented with situations where we have to choose whether we will listen to Satan or we will listen to Christ. You know, we look throughout the scriptures and we see lots of evidence of failure. Adam lived in a garden of abundance and comfort. And yet at his moment of testing, he succumbed to the temptation. Jesus, on the other hand, sits starving and exposed, but he succeeds in trusting God. The Israelites walked into the wilderness too, right, led by God, led by the Holy Spirit, and were presented with a choice as to whether or not they would trust God. They failed, but Jesus, the true Israel, has not. He has remained faithful. And I think the case is, we too can look back on our own lives and see the times when we have come to that fork in the road and we decided to choose the easier, the safer, sometimes even the darker path, and we have lived unfaithfully. But not Jesus, right? Jesus has remained faithful. He proves that he is the faithful high priest, the obedient son, the spotless, sinless lamb who could be a substitute and a sacrifice for our sin. And so as Jesus embarks on his earthly ministry, he shows that he is worthy to be the Messiah that he has come to be. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now and just again praise uh God um, for for his son. Um, Praise God for the coming of Jesus, praising God um, for, for his faithfulness and his goodness in our place. Just as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we need a substitute. We need someone whose righteousness is far beyond our righteousness, a righteousness that can be substituted and covered over our lack of righteousness so that we can be spared. That's what Jesus has done, and that's what he proves himself to be in this passage. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking God to work in our lives that we would be faithful and also thanking God um, for the sinless, perfect obedience of Jesus. Father God, again, we come to you in prayer. God, thanking you, blessing uh, your name um, for the goodness and perfection and righteous obedience of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that where we have failed, um, that he has succeeded. Where we succumb to temptation, God, he is born up under it. That the temptation that we experienced while, while light and mild comparatively, God, he has um, suffered to an extent that we cannot even imagine and yet remain faithful, God. We thank you for your the salvation that you have provided for us through the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. God, we as his Followers, um, as your children, as those who have been welcomed into your family, God, we pray that um, you would continue to work in us in these things. God, you call us, um, even though Jesus has lived a perfect life in our place. God, you call us to righteousness. You call us to be holy. You call us to live lives that are in keeping with your character and your gospel. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us in these times of temptation, God, as we go throughout our daily life, that we would recognize the moment by moment choice that we have of either following you or or giving in um, to to the lies and deceptions of Satan. God, help us to do that. God, help us to be people who live rightly and righteously, and God, who honor you in every aspect of our lives. Father, we pray again for our nation, um, for our community, for our church, for our families. God, we pray for the entire world. We ask that you would continue um, to to mitigate the circumstances of of this um covid ni- uh, 19 uh, virus um god that you would continue to um, minimize it and bring healing um god that you would work in in the institutions of our government and and the way our economy works to bring people back to their livelihoods so that they could work and and um serve and support their families god so that we could join together as a fellowship again uh, in each other's presence and worship you um, in, in spirit and in truth. God, we, we ask for your continued blessing. We already see, um, uh, great gains, um, and, and, and the blessing of, of some of these numbers starting to decline. And, and God, we are thankful for that. And we ask that you would continue that, that you would continue that blessing upon our nation and our world. God, we thank you. We praise you. Um, we ask all these things in the holy and precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
2: Sweet Jesus Christ, my sin Free Jesus Christ, my clarity Bread of heaven, broken for me Cup of salvation, held up to drink Jesus, history Christ has died in, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Christ has died in, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Sweet Jesus Christ, my sanity Sweet Jesus Christ, my clarity Bread of heaven, broken for me Cup of salvation, held up to dream Jesus mystery. Christ has died in. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Christ has died in. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Celebrate his death and rising.
1: Lift your
2: eyes, proclaim his coming. Celebrate his death and rising. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes. Celebrate his death and rising. Lift your eyes, proclaim his coming. Celebrate his death and rising Lift your eyes, lift your eyes Christ has died in Christ is risen Christ will come again Christ has died in Christ is risen will come again Christ has died in Christ is risen Christ will come again Christ has died in Christ is risen Christ
1: will come again. Thanks for joining us again tonight. Um, just want to remind you um, that during the week we've got uh, small groups going on um, over Zoom. And so if uh, you'd like to be a part of that and you're not... Um, just uh, send me an email or give me a phone call and I'll get you connected on how to get connected with one of those groups. Also on Wednesday nights, um, we are um, having our uh, youth group um, time on Wednesday nights, all through also through zoom. And so if you've not been a part of that, and you'd like to be um, again, get in contact with me. Um, and I'd love to hook you up with that. So, um, hope you have a great um, evening and a great rest of your week. Um, Stay safe, and um, we will see you again here, God willing, uh, next Sunday. Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you, and give you peace. See you next week.